Upon returning to the earth at his second coming, Jesus Christ will establish his kingdom, the millennial kingdom prophesied in scripture. Today we'll begin our look at Christ's coming kingdom as Pastor Phil begins Revelation chapter 20. Let's join him for our study. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20? Tonight we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 20 and a subject that a lot of churches are not teaching about much anymore, something that we call the Millennial Kingdom. The word millennium comes from two, two Latin words, mille and annum, meaning a thousand years. And among Christians, there are three major views. There are offshoots of these and there's some other ones, but I'm going to keep it to the three major views dealing with the thousand-year reign of Christ, also known as the Millennial Kingdom. Now, let me just say this. Tonight's study is going to be somewhat introductory to, ver uh, to chapter 20 because I, I do want to lay some good groundwork for this subject Again, it's not something that you hear uh, a lot about anymore today from pulpits, and yet a lot of Christians have questions about uh, the millennial kingdom, the end times, things like that, that we're just not uh, hearing too much about on the radio and things today. So tonight's message, for the most part, is going to be a little on the technical side. I don't think overly technical. But here's the thing. I feel this way. Uh, you guys are mature, spirit-filled believers, and I believe, you know, if you dumb down the word, nobody grows or gets blessed, okay? We keep feeding milk to Christians, and they stay baby Christians, all right? So, you know what? Tonight's message may not be something you can, oh, wow, just take and apply into your life and be blessed right now. But it is important information that we need to understand. So, with regard to the millennial kingdom, there are three main views. The first one is, ah, millennialism. Now, in Greek, if you put an A in front of a word, it negates it. So, amillennialism means no millennium. And this is a view held by a very large segment of the Christian church. This is the view held by the Roman Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, and the Reformed Church, as well as others, probably. Those who hold this view don't believe the thousand years is a literal period of time. They believe it's a symbolic term. And they will point to scriptures like Psalm 90, verse 4, which says, For a thousand years in your sight, speaking to the Lord, are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. And Second Peter 3, verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And so, what they will say is, see how the Lord kind of uses that term a thousand years and spiritualizes it? That's why you can't really take this literally. Well, I beg you to read those scriptures again. The psalmist and Peter are not taking the thousand years symbolically. 
They're saying that a thousand years with the Lord is not like a thousand years with us. He's outside of time. But the writers are not spiritualizing that idea. They're saying a thousand years to the Lord is like a, you know, like a uh, watch in the night or Peter says uh, it's like a day to the Lord. Yeah, to the Lord. But whenever the Lord's talking to us and he says a thousand years, he's not trying to spiritualize it. But these folks do that. They see this as a symbolic period of time between the first and second coming of Jesus where the gospel is spreading and the kingdom of God is growing. So you know what they say? We are in the millennial kingdom right now. Because we're in that period between the first and second coming of Christ. And folks, let me tell you this. If we are in the millennial kingdom, I am very disappointed. (laughs) In fact, they go on to say that the binding of Satan in verse 2 is actually a flashback to what Jesus did at the cross. And how that at the cross, Jesus bound the devil. And he has been bound ever since and will continue to be bound all the way through the church age. But again, a quick glance at the evening headlines. It's enough to make you say, if Satan is bound today, man, his leash is way too long. But there are some profound differences between the manner in which Satan was bound at the cross and the way he is bound in this passage in Revelation 20. I want you to notice, first of all, in Revelation 20, that it makes no reference to the cross. But the binding of Satan immediately follows the return of Christ at his second coming, right? And while it is true that Jesus did win a decisive victory over Satan at the cross, listen, the sentence against the devil has not yet been carried out. Yes, he is a defeated foe, but he is still free to attack God's people and to oppose God's work. Peter made this clear in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, where he said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, what? Is bound? No, it walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, there's a lot of people, and some of the greatest theologians and writers in the church, church's history have been amillennialists. So I'm not putting this down. I'm just saying that it, I, I don't see this, all right? I know there are great Christians and incredible scholars that have, you know, embraced this view. They say the thousand years really isn't literal, but let me just say this. In Revelation 20, God makes it a point to use the the words a thousand years six times. Six times in this chapter alone, he says a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. I have a hard time believing that if God did not mean a literal thousand years, he wouldn't have said it all that many times. I mean, I'm thinking that he repeated himself that many times so that we would know it was a literal thousand year period and we wouldn't try to spiritualize it. And yet people still do it. And also the last phrase in verse three that says, but after these things, after the millennial kingdom or the thousand years is completed, he must be released. Speaking of Satan for a little while, the word while in the Greek is chronos, from which we get our word chronology. And that word does clearly make a reference to a specific period of time, which to me then means that the thousand years is a definite period of time, not just some, you know, allegorical time frame, like the church age. No, it's a literal thousand year period. You say, well, where did this popular view get its start? Where did amillennialism get its start? Well, it really goes back to Constantine 
who was a Roman emperor and at one point in around 313 AD gets saved, although we have some doubts about that. But he did claim that he, you know, received Christ and became a Christian. See, up until that point, for the first 300 years of the church's existence, all the church believed that Christ was coming back literally and he was going to reign on earth literally for a thousand years. They all believed that. They all believed the scriptures taught that earthly governments were evil. And the only real government that could really bring righteousness to the earth was the government of Christ when he came to establish his kingdom. But now you have an emperor on the throne as a Christian. And, you know, it doesn't sit well with an emperor to hear that earthly kingdoms are evil when he's the ruler of the entire known world at that time. So Origen, one of the early church fathers, decided, well, you know, maybe we've been kind of interpreting this stuff wrongly. Maybe the kingdom is not literal. Maybe it's spiritual. And then Augustine came after him, and Augustine said, well, you know, these, this promise of a kingdom made to Israel. First of all, Israel forfeited the promises of God when she rejected her Messiah, and so now the church has replaced Israel. So the kingdom is not literal anymore, it's figurative. In fact, as I've said before, this became such a popular view that even today, in some King James Bibles, you'll find uh, headings. Pericopes is what they're called. They're headings over various sections of Scripture. You will find in some of these King James Bibles uh, where it's talking about the blessings upon Israel for obedience, it will, the subheading will be blesses, blessings upon the church. And when it talks about cursings upon Israel for disobedience, it says cursings upon Israel for disobedience. <laughs> you know, and it's not, it's not honest to do that. If you're going to spiritualize the whole thing, you've got, you got to take it all. You can't say, well, the blessings apply to the church. All the curses Israel can have. <laughs> but it's a very popular view. Now, the second view that used to be very popular before World War I, but recently is coming on strong again, is something called post-millennialism. And it has some parts that are kind of similar to amillennialism in that it views the millennium as the final triumph of the gospel in this present age. But it differs in that those who hold to this view believe that the thousand years is a literal period of time. Why are they called post-millennialists? Well, because they believe that Jesus is going to return to the earth at the end of the thousand-year millennial kingdom. This view believes that the last thousand years of the church age is going to be so dynamic, it's going to see so many people reached with the gospel that the world is going to be Christianized and transformed into a peaceful paradise that Jesus is going to then come back and take control of. So we're going to clean it up. We're going to bring the kingdom to the earth. And, you know, they will give you facts and figures to show you that, you know, how that during the first thousand years of church history, the gospel really didn't spread all that rapidly, but from the time of the Reformation, until the present. Wow, that's when things really exploded. That's when we really saw the gospel spread throughout the world like wildfire. Now, this view was very popular in the 18th and 19th centuries up until the beginning of the 20th century. And in fact, it wasn't just Christians who had this very optimistic view of where the world was going or headed at that time. Even unbelievers. You know, everyone had a kind of a, a utopian view that something 
A golden age was coming for mankind. Why did they feel that way? Well, the Industrial Revolution began to kick in, and you had machines doing a lot of the hard labor that people had to do, and then medicine began to advance, and, and everything looked rosy for the human race. Everything looked, you know, very upbeat. And so even unbelievers were talking about this golden age that was coming. In fact, uh, over 100 years ago, the French novelist Victor Hugo wrote, and I quote, In the 20th century, war will be dead. The scaffold will be dead. In other words, capital punishment will be outlawed. Hatred will be dead. Frontier boundaries will be dead. Dogmas will be dead. But man will live. He will possess something higher than all of these. A great country, the whole earth, a great hope, the whole heaven. Sounds very optimistic. But then came World War I. World War II, Korea and Vietnam, and instead of the world getting better and better, the 20th century was the bloodiest in human history. And so it became clear the gospel wasn't bringing peace on earth and Satan wasn't being bound, which kind of caused this view to die out. As somebody once said, the future isn't what it used to be. <laughs> However, as I, as I said recently, it's uh, been kind of making a comeback, although it's now going under a new label. It's called Kingdom Now or Dominion Theology which basically is the view that Christians need to take over positions of power in government because then we can change laws and Christianize the world. And these folks that are embracing this currently, they've kind of revived the motto that old-time post-millennial preachers used to say at the turn of the 20th century, we're going to bring in the kingdom. And that's how they felt. Well, the third view is pre-millennialism. And premillennialism believes that the thousand years is a literal period of time that will begin almost immediately after the second coming of Jesus to the earth. Hang on to that thought, all right? But this view believes that it is Jesus and not the church that will bring the millennial kingdom to the earth. And when he comes, and he's going to come literally, that's what premillennialists believe, all right? that when he comes and establishes the kingdom, he will reign, listen, on the earth, over the earth for a thousand years, and during that time Satan will be literally bound for the entire duration. Now, I hold to a pre-tribulational, premillennial eschatology. Eschatology is just a big fancy word that simply means the study of last things or the study of the end times. And I am pre-tribulational and pre-millennial in my eschatology. In other words, I believe the rapture of the church is going to happen before the 70th week of Daniel begins, or before what we call the seven-year tribulation period. I believe, and we've taught this in this uh, study, that the church is going to be raptured before the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel. I believe he's around right now. You may even know who he is, and maybe I do too. But I believe the Bible teaches that, that the final seven years will begin officially when the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel that will probably allow them to rebuild their temple. And before that happens, the church is going to be raptured out of here. Now, if we ever see that event take place, we'll have to gather for a quick Bible study. We'll have to, <laughs> have to just meet it down by the church here real quick. We'll have to readjust our eschatology. But for right now... And as I've jokingly said before, I'm actually a pan-tribulationist. I'm going to just see how it all pans out. Well, <laughs> but anyways, um, I do believe the Bible teaches the rapture of the church will happen before this final seven-year period begins. So I'm pre-tribulational. 
And I also believe that Jesus Christ will come back at his second coming before the millennial kingdom begins because he's going to bring the kingdom when he comes, which will begin almost immediately after his return. Now you say, what do you mean by almost immediately after his return? Well, let me explain what I mean. Now try to stay with me, okay? Because I want you to really kind of get this, all right? It's important to understand that there is no chapter break between chapter 19 and chapter 20. You realize, of course, the chapter divisions are not inspired by God. They were added at the beginning of the 13th century by Stephen Langdon, who was a, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury. We thank him for that because it does help, right? And then the verse divisions were added even later than that. But remember, they are not inspired. In the Greek, there is no chapter or verse divisions. It's just all one flowing thing. So when you read your Bibles, make it a point when you finish a chapter, don't just stop there. Read the next verse or two of the beginning chapter that's following because you may find the flow of the thought continues on and will give you some greater insights into that passage. All right? So it's very important that you keep that in mind. We know that, um, that uh, the account of chapter 19 flows seamlessly into chapter 20. We saw last time that chapter 19 ends with the return of Jesus to the earth, where he instantly destroys the armies of the Antichrist, who have all gathered together in the Valley of Megiddo for the Battle of Armageddon. And there really is no battle. He just destroys them instantly with you know, the word of his power, it's uh, symbolized as a sword coming out of his mouth, but it's just, you know, that's what it is. The same word that spoke the universe into existence is going to say the word, and all these people that are gathered in the Valley of Megiddo, I mean, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of soldiers under the Antichrist command with their tanks and bazookas and surface-to-air missiles and everything else waiting to go to war against the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes through the clouds with all of us, he's on riding white horses. You know, here they are. They're getting ready to fire. He just speaks the word and they just vaporize. They just blow up. There's blood everywhere. It runs 200 miles through this valley. It's incredible. The carnage. Now, when he takes care of all these folks... There are still probably hundreds of thousands, if not some millions, of people left on the earth, believers and unbelievers. And now he is going to send his angels out to gather everyone for a mandatory meeting with the God of the universe. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 13. He said in verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and he will cast the wicked into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And of course, we know that the righteous, or the just who are left on the earth, will be allowed to enter into the millennial kingdom. This judgment, folks, is going to take a little time. It's going to take a little time before the kingdom age can officially begin. Now, I want you to turn to Daniel 12, because I want to show you something. Now, in Daniel 12, God has given to Daniel some incredible visions and prophecies 
So much so that, you know, Daniel's overwhelmed. But there's a couple of verses here at the end of verse 12, or chapter 12, that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, Daniel 12, starting at verse 11, where it says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Verse 12, Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Now, the angel who was telling Daniel this, giving him this prophecy, says that from the time the Antichrist sets up his image in the Holy of Holies and demands to be worshipped as God, stopping the sacrifices to Almighty God, there's going to be 1,290 days before the Lord you know, comes and the kingdom is basically established. We know the Bible teaches that the last half of the seven years the last half of the tribulation period is called in, Revela in um, Daniel 7, verse 25, and Revelation 12, verse 14, a time, times, and half a time. That's just the scriptural way of saying three and a half years. It is also designated in Revelation 11, 2, as 42 months. Keep in mind, a prophetic biblical month is 30 days. And so we find from Revelation 11, verse 3, that the Lord goes on then to multiply the 42 months by the 30 days and says this period of time will be 1,260 days. The question is, where do the extra 30 days come from? You've got 1,260 days and from the time the Antichrist sits up his image in the Holy of Holies and stops the worship of God, demanding that he be worshipped as God now till the end of the three and a half, the last half of the tribulation period is 1260 days but daniel talks about 1290 days where did the extra 30 days come from what is that all about and then verse 12 of daniel 11 says pronounces a blessing on the one who makes it to the end of the 1335th day this is an additional 45 days added on to the 1290 days. So how do we explain the extra 75 days from the time Jesus returns to the official start of the kingdom? Well, Daniel doesn't tell us. I wish he would have. I wish he would have said to the angel, can you give me just a little more here? He doesn't, and so we're left to, just to kind of speculate. He doesn't tell us where these two extra time periods come from or what they mean, the 30 plus the 45. It's obvious to me and to many others that, you know, when Jesus comes to the earth uh, to establish his millennial kingdom, it's going to take a little transitional time. There's going to be a few loose ends that have to be tied up. The Bible teaches very clearly that from the time the Antichrist sets up his image in the Holy of Holies and demands to be worshipped as God until Jesus Christ returns at his second coming, listen, it's going to be 1,260 days. This is then, I believe, followed by a couple of judgments. These two judgments could make up the 30 and the 45, or a total of the 75 extra days between the time Jesus comes and the kingdom officially begins. Now, these are important, and I want to have you turn to them with me. The first one is in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. We call this the judgment of the nations. 
Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Now, Jesus is talking about his return, and he does that in chapter 24. Now he comes to chapter 25. He's already back. And listen to what he says, the first thing he says. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory with, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Now, these would be the nations, the people that, you know, have escaped. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they've survived until the Lord's return. And they are made up of believers and unbelievers, both Jews and Gentiles. But when the Son of Man returns, he'll sit on his throne, the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took, took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him, day by day. He said,